Hello and welcome to Blood and Ashes, a chapter-by-chapter -chapter spoiler cast of Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson's The Wheel of Time series. I am joined as always by my good friends Vili. Good day. And Jody. Hello. How are you, gentlemen? Hanging. How are you? Doing better than others. <laughs> <laughs> How's that beer going, Joe? Uh, it's going great. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hitting the spot that's the energy we need in the show <laughs> yeah well i'll remember not to drink heavily the night before podcasting again or, or don't remember whatever Meh. um okay so let's get the obligatory housekeeping out of the way i will say again that we have loads of spoilers coming your way today and every day uh, as well as probably a healthy dose of profanity, slightly cranked up because of Jody's uh, mental state and the beer he's <laughs> drinking at the moment. Um, but be warned, spoilers and profanity incoming. Last week, we ended at chapter 11, um, where the group had just come to Taran Ferry uh, and were about to leave the two rivers for the first time in their lives. So this week we'll do chapters 12 to 17, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And I do not see any reason why we shouldn't just jump straight in. So, um, Vili, why don't you take chapter 12 across the Taran? There we go. And this is where it now starts getting juicy. It's getting real now. Well, basically, they've been pushing the horses in the fog and uh, reached the, the river Taran. And uh, they knocked, uh, Wolan went up, knocked on the door of the ferryman, convinced him with a handful of gold to ring his men up and get them across the river. Getting across the river, uh, they wait for them all. They were moved down to the ferry. And uh, one of the conversations that Moraine has with Lan, Rand pick, didn't pick up on the question that Lan asked, but heard Moraine's reply saying, look, you just deal with it. I can't deal with that as well, uh, or the gist of it. And uh, I think that plays into this next part where Lan, uh, as soon as the ferryman, the bargeman, and uh, the ferry owner comes across to them, uh, he very much stands casually and rests his hand on the sword blade or the sword hilt. And as at the same time, yeah, as he is. And then uh, Rand felt obliged to kind of echo that sentiment. And uh, Perrin noticed this and sort of also threw his cloak back and sort of hand on his axe. And uh, that's where Tom pulls out knives and daggers from under his cloak and sort of flicks them around in his fingers and then pretends to be cleaning his nails. Mm -hmm. And Matt was kind of left out because he just had a quiver and a wet bow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that the, that the discussion there was uh, saying that look, there's a high chance that these guys are going to rob us in this fog, like seeing the opportunity of it. Either which way, they do get onto the ferry, they do get across to the other end. And as promised, uh, they also lure the, the bargemen off the barge with a promise of a silver mark for each of them. And while uh, Lan is busy uh, dishing out the silver and the gold, uh, the fairy starts to come loose and then sink all of a sudden in a whirlpool. Or, Gee, uh, I wonder what happened there. I wonder mm. what happened there. But again, Ran shivered just before the fairy sank. Yeah. He, he got hot. He got hot flushed. He shivered. I think Moraine is actually standing facing the water. Like she sort of is separate from the group for a, for a minute. And yeah, then Rand is shivering. Right. 
and then that very shit, uh, shit goes down. And uh, Lan just uh, throws the balance of the gold coins on the pouch that they wanted to rob anyway back at him and sort of say, there you go for your loss. Sorry about your shit. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck getting home. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Moraine made the decision as well there to not extend the fog to cover them uh, on the journey on the road further and spread the fog up and down the river banks uh, as a decoy because uh, also as it's mentioning, Drakkar is not very clever. They have got good eyesight. And on the river itself. Yeah, on the river itself as well. And they didn't travel much further than that and they uh, managed to find a place to rest, have a little bit of tea. Uh, Moraine heals the horses and uh, Perrin actually picks up like these horses aren't tired at all, like struggling to even give them their oat bags. They, uh, and Lan informs him, no, look, they'll run until they die with what she's done to them. They'll keep running till their last breath. They uh, then uh, hop into their shelter there, and this is where it gets really juicy because now Moraine pulls Irwin <laughs> to the side and starts talking about the source and Saidin and Saidar and uh, pulls out a, a little blue stone for her to try and pulse up. And she's like, oh my gosh, is that how you get the source? And no, it's not the case. It doesn't work like that. And almost sort of a no, you stupid child uh, conversation. And uh, this is also the first time that we get the introduction to the various Ajas because uh, Tom keeps informing Rand that keeps eavesdropping, like, don't mess into this business. And uh, we, we get introduced to the Red Aja there and what their, their purpose is to prevent another breaking of the world. Um, they move on from specifically the, by finding men who can channel, who can and, channel, yep, and quote unquote dealing with them, De- dealing with them. <laughs> Gentling or killing them? Gently killing them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wasn't one of the options. <laughs> <laughs> All of the above. And uh, that, is, that is sort of the, the, the key events of that. But I mean, um, it is now starting to get real. They are on there. We realize that Egwene has got the ability to reach out and touch the source. She manages to get that little blue stone to pulse up. And uh, Rand is freaked out by this. He's... Uh, Mm-hmm. Really not, really not pleased by this at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about this because my memory is fuzzy. But Tom, you know, as we know, hates Ice mm. Die. Um, mm-hmm. Is this, uh, as far as I recall, it's because they uh, they gentled his son, was it, or his nephew, or something? I don't know if it was his son, but it was a relative or someone very, very close to him. Yeah, yeah. it was his uh, nephew, so it was his brother's okay. son. Okay. Ah, okay. It uh, it comes out, I think, a bit later though. But he yeah, tells, does. yeah, in this in this book, it comes right. out. Yeah, I haven't read past chapter seventeen, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'll get there. Um, anything else you wanted to know from that one, Joe? I've got a couple extra notes here. No, let us have your notes. I was just thinking of how um, when the boys are standing around waiting for the uh, the ferry crew to rock up and they're sort of like parents showing his axe and Lan yeah. is copying, oh, Rand is copying Lan and they're sort of trying to be intimidating. Like these are farm boys, right? And they're trying to be intimidating with weapons. This would have been the first time any of them would have thought to do it. I bet you Matt was just like freaking out that he didn't get to take part in it. Like he's probably <laughs> the only one that would revel in that. Rand and Perrin, especially Perrin would be super, super awkward doing that so it was just a funny scene to me to think of them like posturing yeah. with his weapons and they're just these fucking stupid farm boys <laughs> a 
and when Tom does his flourish with the knives and then starts cleaning his uh, his nails or pretending to be trimming his nails, um, Moraine gives a, and these are the words they use, low and delighted laugh. <laughs> like, you don't see her just react that way. So, Vili, I was wondering if that maybe caught your eye this time yep, as well. Yep, uh, it's all of these little Easter eggs is now uh, standing out like it's highlighted in the book for me. Totally for me as well, because this is the first time I'm reading the first book since finishing the series. I haven't reread the series after finishing it. Um, and, you know, the Tom and Moraine thing sort of only happens towards the end, I think, Towers of Midnight or something. When Moraine talks to Egwene about becoming Aes Sedai, she says, who knows, maybe one day you even become Amelinseet. And mm. sort of just joke <laughs> or like, you know, says it in passing. But of course, we know she does. Um, yep, yep. And, <laughs> and then some. And also, the last thing I had was when uh, Moraine is trying to teach um, Egwene how to how to reach out to the source and touch the source with the, the little blue stone. She says to her, there is only the stone and emptiness. And the way she explains it to her sounds almost exactly like the flame and the void. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was a very point there. So Rand has already got the way to do it. He's mm, uh, mm. pretty much been introduced and trained to do it exactly he's he's good at it like he can do the flame of the void so it actually goes a long way to explaining how later he takes to channeling as, as quickly as he does yeah so they're out of the two rivers now officially so um you guys ready to move on yeah let's uh yeah. let's keep it going we're getting to the good bits now there's a lot of talking coming yeah okay chapter 13 choices hit it joe hey all right so yeah in this <laughs> chapter uh, they're in the what I've you know, imagined as a uh, as a beaver dam, <laughs> where they're hiding. Yeah, where they're hiding <laughs> for the night in these like washed yeah. up trees that have formed some sort of dam. And mm. uh, yeah, they spend the night there. Um, Moraine again heals everybody or gives them some some respite. Uh, <clears throat> even old Tom, who's not not a big fan of it, she smiles as she does it, and he scowls. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, we know. He warms up eventually. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, then they hit the road. They wake up early and they're on the road uh, to Berlon, however you pronounce that. Uh, and on the way, this takes a couple of days. They're on the road for a couple of days. And then Lan and uh, starts training the boys because Egwene takes, starts taking more lessons with Moraine about how to channel. And they go off for their little uh, mini women's circle meetings uh, mm -hmm. in the woods. And then, uh, then Lan takes over training the boys. And the first time he starts, okay, let's see what you can do with a bow. They all uh, just dominate. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> you can't, you know, that you can't fault these kids for knowing how to use a bow. And Lan is clearly impressed, um, mm. but also is like, oh, well, that's great if the Trollocs are far away from you. But if they get really close, what are you going to do then? And so standing starts, still, yeah, and standing still. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, like you, you have to learn to, uh, to, so he teaches Perrin about the axe a little bit, how to parry and hit, and then starts training um, Rand with the sword that his father's, with his father's sword that he's mm -hmm. carrying. All right. And then at night as well, when, when they're not doing that, uh, Tom is telling them stories. So they got like, that's, that's great that he's along as well. Yeah. Keep them from losing their minds. Um, and this is all where you can see um, Telling, the, telling them stories about the hunt for the horn and also where Egwene starts to grow uh, a little bit more. She's always like, I'm going to Tar Velan, I'm going to become an Aes Sedai. She's always looking to the future and where the boys are always looking to the past. All three of them was like, we're going to go home. How are we going to get home? We'll be home in about two months. It's all they talk about is, is, is going home. So yeah, a bunch of softies. She calls guys. them out on it. Yeah. 
Now, and they have a huge argument, her and Rand. Eventually, they start a huge argument. Mm. And then uh, w- when they finish, they stop and look around in the camp and, and they've been screaming at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice, nice job yeah. keeping, uh, keeping it on the down low, guys. It's not like we have dark, <laughs> dark friends chasing us or anything. So anyway, yeah, they have that argument. Uh, later, the, the, the boys make plans to, to run away down south, go to, to Ilian and Tyr. And that's when, uh, when uh, Iguin, of course, hears them. She's been listening in on this whole thing the whole time. And, and starts telling them stories about that and and about the Stone of Tear. And uh, is this the one? Is this the chapter where the sword is not a sword? Uh, the sword that cannot be touched in the Stone of Tear, yes. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. It's a bit further on in my notes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's where we learn about that. We learn about the Aes Sedai as well. We learn a bit more about how the power works and, and the five elements. And uh, yeah, and that is, and Egwene's fears that she's going to be changed by the power or put to rest, you know, like it just amplifies who you are if you're ready. Uh, you know, a bitch about it, then you're going you're gonna to be a bitch, I said. I. Um, but if you're a good person, then it's not, it's not going to do anything to you. So yeah, that's where we get the first inklings at. Well, that reminded me of all the uh, the Black Aja, and just the the different personalities at the White Tower. Like yeah. there are like the Verins that are you know quiet and reserved, and then there's the you know everyone else with you know every personality you can imagine, Elida. And oh, her sort Elida. of bullish nature, like yeah, it's just it, it it is like you said, it's your first glimpse into, you know, the Aes Sedai are not all unified and the same thing. Mm. They have very strong personalities, and because they live so long, you know, like there's probably a lot of like really ingrained character traits that are hard to shake. Sure. Um, but yeah, you, you have no idea reading this the first time just how pretty um, pretty fucked up <laughs> the relationships in the White Tower. Is. It's a divided tower, yeah. I mean, yeah, it even literally divides later on. So, yeah, yeah, uh, very much so. Um, but yeah, and then they arrive afterwards. They after this this travel, this this uh, this trip of theirs, they arrive at uh, at Verilon, the big massive city, and the boys are freaking out. Like, <laughs> my God, a city! Tom's was laughing at them. Yeah, city, sure, whatever. Um, and then they meet the the gatekeeper, who seems to know them very well, uh, Mistress mm-hmm. Allison and and Master Who. I've forgotten the Andra. Name. Andra. Andra. Yes. Or Elise. What is it, guys? Elise. I'm voting on Elise. You're voting Elise. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna alternate between the two to keep you both happy. All right. <laughs> That's good. Very Isodai of you. So yeah, uh, then they, they speak to the gatekeeper who's like, oh, giving them the whole heads up. Yeah, there was a battle um in Gildan between the mm-hmm. between Logan. I think he gets mentioned by name at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first time we hear about him, and that he won. And he's on his way mm-hmm. to the Stone of Tear because that's where Kalandor is. Or Kalandor. <laughs> this is going to get crazy. <laughs> yeah, okay. So anyway, uh, so that, then we hear a bit, a bit more about that and the, the history of, of Tear. And it was the first city built after the breaking. And uh, that's where, you know, they, they hid the stone. Mm. All right. So, yeah, they head into the city. And that's where they get to the, uh, the inn where they're going to stay. Uh, the stag and lion, and we we uh, we meet Master Fitch there, who is the the owner of the tavern, and who has our most recent casting choice for for the TV series. I found. Oh, that's correct. I don't know if you guys well. saw that, yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's him. Uh, wasn't that Basil Gill? Was it? No, no. The, no, the no. innkeeper in Camelin, the the royal queen's man, the guy that's like super into Morgays, and I think I thought it was Basil Gill. Is it? Hmm. All right. Well, I might, I might be wrong. Anyway, and that's where they arrive. And the stable, the stable men are not one of them. I can't remember his name. The the stable guy there is not Mulch. Much. Much Mulch. 
There's whatever. No, there's no L. There's no L. Match. Dark friend. Dark friend. Anyway. <laughs> and it, like now I'm so suspicious of everyone reading this book. Like, I don't know this guy. He's a dark friend. End of story. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and that's what happened. So yeah, the long journey, learned about a bunch of stuff along the way, and now they're at the stag and lion. The uh, their whole travel doesn't land also keep them on the back road that they're not traveling sort of on the main road. Yeah, and they're and they're switching back and forth the whole time. Yes, like they're actually changing tack. Mm, that's uh, trying to make sure they don't get tracked. They go past a farm at some point and they skirt it like they give it such a mm. wide berth that they can barely make out the people. Yeah, absolutely. He does. He really doesn't want to be seen by anyone on the road. Nah. Anything else, Bill? No, that's a pretty good summary of events there. There's uh, just a lot of talking. There's a lot of more sort of character building between Moraine and the Green and uh, the tension that mm. plays on the boys with this uh, because yeah. you can really feel it on them. Oh, Rand is really taken by it. Yeah. There's also a map for some reason. Yeah. A map that pretty much shows a stretch of road between, I think, Whitebridge and Camelon and then Tarvalon up north. Um don't really know what the point of that map was. <laughs> he has a map of a straight road. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks. I went back to the, the world map in the beginning and I compared the two just to see, um, because obviously at this stage we're, we're not near, we're not in Whitebridge. So the, the context of this map is unknown at this stage. There's one thing that I picked up on that map that was the what is that? statue of Arthur Hawking. Okay. Is there significance to that? Uh, it comes in one of the chapters, they overnight close to it, or they were blown away by the sheer size of it uh, okay. a bit later, yeah. But I don't mean no real significance other than that point. The only thing I took away from that is that Whitebridge is pretty much, um, I think, halfway between uh, Bailon and Camelon, along mm. the Camelon Road. So I thought, okay, cool, just take note of that. So knowing, obviously, that they're going to go along it, that they're going to go to Whitebridge and Four Kings and Camelon, um, that just sort of cemented the geography of that stretch of the trip for me. Um, we already mentioned the moment between Tom and Moraine when she heals him and he uh, and she smiles as she does it, um, probably knowing that it's bringing him discomfort because she can see the way he acts around all the time and he just scowls again. Um my obligatory land-related pickup is that they mentioned that mandob means blade in the old tongue. Mm -hmm. Like, yes. yes. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> and that reminds me always of Fail later on. Yes. yes. That's what she wants because she's a hunter for the horn and wants to call herself mandob. And they're all like, <laughs> I'm going to name yourself after a horse. <laughs> Which I guess for her is like, um, I'm just thinking of it now, is uh, an extra kick in the guts because she has quite a big nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shame Moritz oh you mean Robert Jordan uh, shame on you <laughs> I think she's hawked nose not uh, not horse nosed <laughs> I um, I I hope that I get to stand corrected um, something else I was just pondering I don't know the answer to this but uh, Moraine, after seeing Lan give the boys lessons with the weapons, she asks him to continue. And I couldn't tell if that was because she saw them and was just like, Jesus, these kids are fucking doomed. Um, <laughs> Lan, keep going with these lessons. Or if she saw that like they actually had something in them, which I think is more likely if you read about their athletic and sort of physical prowess um, in the chapters leading to this and even a couple coming up now. Yeah, there was something as well. She said, uh, I would rather, you know, destroy you before I let the Dark One have you. When they're all talking about running away to Tyr, 
She's like, I'll kill you before yes. you guys run away from me. Like, whoa. Yes. Um, that is my very next note is ah. she says that she, yeah. Rather than let the dark one have them, make no mistake about it. I will destroy you myself. Mm. And they are just like, uh, okay. <laughs> she's she's not exactly doing herself any favors in trying to win their loyalty. This thing about her sinking the ferry also comes up a couple times yeah. yet, um, even in this stretch of chapters. Um, and then the last thing I had was that when they are talking about Loghain uh, winning that battle mm-hmm. um, and marching to Tyr, his followers have started calling themselves the people of the dragon. Mm. Um, and someone draws a comparison to the prophecy about the stone of Tyr falling when the people of the dragon come to it. Mm. Of course, we know now mm. that the people of the dragon are the Aiel. Yeah, and not Logan's followers, and that does happen later when the Aiel are there. That's when Rand takes Kalandor. 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 <laughs> We're gonna have to say all these names twice, yeah. both <laughs> both pronunciations, just to cover all bases. But yeah, that's it for me. Right on. So, um, chapter fourteen: the stag and lion. Okay, so. When the boys get in there or everyone gets in there, it's it's obviously very busy. They hear a lot of stories about men coming down from the mines and, you know, like the situations outside of town being really bad. And when the weather eased up a little bit, everyone just came straight down and sort of filled up the town. Um, Moraine asked a couple of questions about um, white cloaks and the innkeeper says, yeah, there's a rumor, there's a nice to die in town. And everyone's sort of like, mm, okay, really? Um, but he plays it down. Um, and then Moraine asks off the moon. Mm. who, as we know, becomes a, a very, very central character later in the story. Um, but after she does, then um, Moraine and, uh, and Egwene disappear, and the boys get led off by one of the, uh, the servants for bath time. I don't take baths. I shower because I think baths are gross. But the way <laughs> the baths in this scene are described, they sound like the best thing that has ever happened to anyone. Just the, all the talk about like how they've been riding so hard for so long and they've been sleeping on the ground and they're all knotted and tired and then they go sit in these hot copper baths and they get to just luxuriate for a while. And as they relax, Matt's tongue is just loose. He's just talking about, like he just wants to talk about Trollocs and everything and then Lan comes in. And he basically just shits on them and then takes a bath himself. Uh, and everyone continues bathing in silence. Um, we see Min for the first time. When they come out, she is busy talking to Moraine. And um, Rand can't even tell whether she is a boy or a girl. They're just sort of at the end of the corridor. Mm. And then, But Rand doesn't interact with her at that point. Um, so they sort of they go to their rooms and then they go for dinner in a private uh dining room um and i almost had a bit of a chuckle at this at the scene because it sort of looks like a family dinner from the outside lan and moraine are sitting at either end of the table and the kids are sitting in the middle um and what happens for the first time as well is that lan and moraine sort of start talking without you know, going off by themselves. Yeah. They have a discussion in in front of the rest of the guys. Um, and then Lan just mentions Logan winning a battle in Gildan. But, oh, and he says that uh, there's there's no reliable information about the Aes Sedai that went to go deal with that situation. So that would obviously have been a contingent of Red Archer that was mm. sent from the tower. And Moraine being Aes Sedai obviously has a, has a vested interest in finding out what happened to them, but Lan just says he can't hear. 
And then after dinner, everyone basically goes to bed. And that's when Rand has his terrible nightmare. Uh, he just dreams of this endless corridor uh, that he's walking down, lit by eerie light, ethereal, un, you know, non-real light. And he can't find the end of the corridor. So he goes into one of the rough doors along the side and he comes into this room with a balcony that, you know, is open to the sky. And the sky is this impossible swirling of clouds and the room is also all weird angles and there's a massive fireplace, but it's not giving off any heat. There's just a plain table in the middle. And then when he looks back to the fireplace, someone is standing there. And it is a guy that introduces himself as Belzamon, who, as we know and have said on this podcast many times, we know is Ishmael. Um, I remember the scene, his eyes and mouth being fire, mm. but it's just, it's it's flashes of that. It's almost like I don't know if he does it intentionally, but he sort of lapses every now and then the the sockets of his eyes and his mouth seem to be windows into a dimension of eternal fire. (laughs) It's basically a gateway to hell. (laughs) Um, And he just starts talking to Rand about, you know, saying to him, "Are, are you him? Are you, are you actually him? And then, you know, making him understand that, um, he is nothing and, he will serve the dark one. And if he doesn't, he'll die. And then he'll be his anyway, because you know, the dead serve him. Mm. Um, he offers Rand a drink that Rand refuses. And I don't know what the significance of that would have been. I thought the same thing. I was, I was wondering that, I mean, he was so blatant about it and then so blatantly ups, like disappointed when Rand didn't drink from it. Yeah. I don't know. It's not very subtle. I don't, I don't remember anything, and I mean, that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen because it's been so long since I read them, but I don't remember anything specific being mentioned about what would have happened if he had taken that drink. I'm finding that these dream sequences, and if if I'm honest about it, probably the first book or maybe even the first two books have some concepts that are a little more fuzzy than the rest of the books, um, especially... When compared, like, I mean, I've read, and you guys have read some Brandon Sanderson novels after he did The Wheel of Time work, right? Mm-hmm. And in his stories, he's always, what I love about him is that he sets up these rules that he explains to you, and then everything adheres to these rules. Where here, with these dreams, and even with the explanations of the dream world and dream walking and stuff later, there's nothing obvious about what this signifies, him missing, not having this drink. Mm. And also... Um, I mean, he picks up a rat and he sort of bends the thing backwards and snaps snaps its back in this dream. And you find out in a later chapter that, you know, all the rats in the inn have broken backs. Yeah. I think it's the, that same chapter. Uh, next chapter, yes. It's the next one. Um, but he he was able to do that to the rats. So could he have done that to Rand? Yeah, in one of the dreams, uh, Rand touches a thorn. I think it comes a bit later uh, while mm. him and Matt's traveling on their own and mm. he wakes up and his fingers bleeding. So yeah. there is a sense of reality to what happened in those specific dreams affect you in real life. Um, if you, if you die in the matrix. Well, yes, exactly. It's just like the matrix is very well established later in the story. Like when Egwene starts, you know, doing proper dream walking and manipulating the world of dreams, Perrin does it. It's made very clear that, you know, if you die in the dream, you die in real life. Yes. Um, but here, why why would Ishmael not have killed Rand right then and there? If he could do it in the dream and he was there. 
I think his job is not to kill him, but to to turn him. He, he is the to dark turn one. him. Yeah, he is property of the yeah. dark one. So uh, the orders are don't kill him. Yes, and that's my sort of fallback. Like, okay, cool. He didn't want to kill him. Maybe it's just something to make him violently sick. Can't travel. Maybe. Can't run. Get caught. Maybe, maybe the drink was to actually poison him to slow him down mm. in real life. Mm. That fits. That now is getting slotted into my head cannon. Hmm. Nice one. Thanks, Phil. No that solves the mystery of the dream drink. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Belzmon or Ishmael also carries on about like he sort of bragging about all the stuff that he's done in the past. And what I thought was cool was how he's talking about like, yeah, he was at Luce Theron's shoulder telling him, you know, he, he was the one that told Luce Theron to kill his wife and to kill his children. He was the one that told Arthur Hawkwing, you know, send your armies across the ocean. Mm. Um, he was the one that told Arthur Hawkwing that the White Tower must be destroyed and and as we know, later in the series, the Sean Chan come back and they target the White Tower and they do try and destroy it. Mm. This is still the fallout of Ishmael's work back in the time of Arthur Hawkwing. So, I mean, he has these well-laid-out plans that have been, you know, been brewing and bubbling under and simmering yeah. for, for centuries. Not to, not to mention their general disdain of any woman who can channel uh, the Sean Chan, that is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not just the yeah. White Tower, but anything related to it. I mean, that's that's where it comes from. Totally. Yeah, but I one thing uh, I'm not so certain that everything he's bragging about is true because in the prologue, um, he seems surprised by Lou's yeah. actions and the killing of, the, yeah. of his whole family. It's not like he was the he arrives later, so I think he's just yes. bullshitting. Like I did everything; it's all me. Yes, I mean he is arrogant and um, he does claim himself throughout the, the series. He, he thinks he's be- he thinks he's better, but it's jealous, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of it. He also refers to Lewis Theron and, quote-unquote, his precious one power, mm. uh, alluding to the fact that, you know, he uses something else, which Jody mentioned a couple of episodes ago. He was um, already using the true power or mm. the true – what is it called? The, the true power. It's the one power and the true power, yeah. Yeah, that's not confusing yeah. at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, and then after he breaks the rats back, uh, Rand wakes up. What did you guys think? Men. It's, uh, <laughs> men. There's, there's very little that uh, is said at that. It's just a quick introduction to men. But, it's not even uh, an introduction. He just sees her down. The, she's on the other end of the corridor. So, no, just uh, excited to see her come into the fold. Yeah. I remember when I read this the first time, still thinking at this point oh Balzamon, this is the dark one this is the big bad this is mm. the guy um but yeah that's not the case yeah and there was one thing um in the dream in tell Riod, or the, the the world of uh-huh. dreams is easier pronounced um he talks uh, Balzamon talks about rand's parents about your mother and your father i don't know i'm just trying to find the line here Mm. But uh, yeah, who uh, who were his his mother was from Camelin, right? Was Tigraine or do you remember this? Yes, oh, was, man, I remember her being a shield maiden. She went across the wall, but she did. You're right. She, she mm. came from Randland. She's a, a relative of the royal line. Yes, isn't she? Yes, That's and as far she as I went recall. across the wall and became a shield maiden against all odds, and then came back across the wall and gave birth to Rand on the slopes of Dragon Mount. <laughs> As you do. There's a, there's a story right there. Right? Tell her story. I mean, that is amazing. We'll get, I'm sure that'll pop up. It does pop up later on because I, I know it. So we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. <laughs> I'm impressed that you remember her name. 
I think it's, but that it's, definitely rings a bell. Yeah, Tigrain might be the the king uh, or something. I don't know. I think it was his wife uh, after he died or something. I don't know. But we'll get there. Write it in the Leave comments. Leave us a message on <laughs> blood, and, blood and ashes podcast.com. <laughs> Correct us, please. Yes. Um, okay. So, Vil, why don't you take chapter 15, Strangers and Friends? Okay. Now, Rand wakes up from that horrible dream. Um, he's obviously not feeling as good as he felt after the warm bath the night before, and the body aches his back. But uh, he notices Matt's already up and out, and uh, he doesn't want to miss out. I mean, it's big city life now. They've never seen a big city. They're in a big city. <laughs> I'm going to go and see everything. Everyone's a stranger. This is amazing. He's never been a place where everyone's a stranger. And uh, he uh, gets uh, up and he hops downstairs to peer into the kitchen and see Master Finch and uh, Sarah uh, having a little bit of an argument about Kiri the cat. And she's defending a cat to the point of almost resigning from her job as the cook for the inn. Uh, and he's like, okay, no, 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 look, no, it is a good cat. No, please keep your apron on. We're full. We need food, type of thing. Hmm. And Rand uh, sort of listens to this, but can't pick up. Uh, she eventually sees Rand and says, come on in. You probably want some breakfast. Your one friend has already gone out to town, and the other one is sick in bed. Uh, Perrin is upstairs, still apparently sleeping. And uh, Rand sort of eats his food and then he hears and she continues to tell the story about the cat killing so many rats and just breaking their backs and leaving mm. them in the common room and a whole, dun, dun, dun. And, yeah, a whole dozen of them. So that's uh, that is pretty odd that there's a whole dozen dead rats uh, in there. And there's uh, then he decides, okay, scoff the food down, milk, I think it's milk, bread and cheese. It's always milk, bread, and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, he hops up back to you and find Perrin. And then also uh, find out that Perrin again had the same dream. And he says to Perrin, well, yeah, there's dead rats downstairs with broken backs. And But Perrin still makes the decision, look, I'm staying in bed. He's, he's really, like, really shaken by this dream. Uh, pretty much the same as Rand was. And... Uh, then uh, Rand makes his way out the back door and uh, at the stables, old Much uh, gives him another glaring eye again and mm -hmm. uh, Min corners him and starts striking up a conversation with him and uh, lets him know that uh, she actually knows Lady Elise as Moraine as well, to which he was quite surprised and uh, sort of, okay, well, how do, does, do you fit into this picture? Which is like, no, I don't really know, but I see things. So he's like, Oh, you see things. Give us a bit more of an idea. What do you see? And then she goes into uh, a lot of uh, very, very important things about each and every of the characters that she sees. She doesn't know what it means. What she does know generally is, and at that stage, is like, I can see if people are going to marry. And that I can figure out for myself. And she says, I, I can see you love Iguin. And he's like sort of taken by that. But I think we'll catch up on that uh, after this because there's going to be a mm -hmm. lot to discuss into those uh, things that they see there. Yeah, she drops a lot of images um, for each of the characters. She tells exactly what the images are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Matt go, or Rand goes out and uh, hits the streets and everyone looks familiar to him. Like this could be one of that one's brother back home and he's quite, quite taken by it, but everyone's a stranger. And then he sees a face that's really familiar. Mm. Deep set eyes and a big hook nose. 
dirty, smelling dog type looking guy. <laughs> That's it, Billy. <laughs> That's Go. it. And there he goes. He, he and he's it's paid in Fane. And uh, Rand sort of Mr. Fane, like, and he wants to bolt away, and he he goes after him till eventually he can corner him. Like, hey, what's what happened? We thought you were dead. We thought you were killed. And he uh, looks like trash. I mean, he's clothes is torn off and he looks like he's been through the walls and he's been on foot but even at the offer of uh, come and see us at the inn uh, come and stay there have a meal at least um, he doesn't want him to say anything of his presence there he's uh, he says please don't especially don't tell the Isodai. like don't don't let her know i don't want her to know about it and all uh, doesn't think too much about it he says no not a worry and he runs off. And at that, he wanted to still speak to him. Rand sets off after him again. And Paddan Fane loses him in the alleyways. And Rand literally he runs into Matt. And <laughs> literally. Mm. Uh, they get up and uh, they catch their first glimpse. Uh, well, wait. They first discuss the fact that uh, Matt also had the same dream. So mm. now again, all three boys had exactly the same dream of breaking backs of rats. And... Mm -hmm. uh, not liking it, and also, are they going to tell Moraine about this now? And they decide, no, they'll speak to Tom. He's going to be the guy. Uh, Tom was performing earlier when Rand was looking for him in the the com in the common room at the inn. Yeah, Matt. Matt brings up. Um, he uses the word chances. He talks about basically odds of you know what what options do they have available to them if they tell Moraine, and what do they have available to them if they talk to Tom, which is one of the first hints at his. Uh, predilection for gambling <laughs> <laughs> yes his gambling addiction <laughs> judging by the outcomes <laughs> yes <laughs> so uh, they decide that okay let's do that let's go after tom but uh, they spot three breast uh, plated men walking with white capes that's just above ground level looking really smug and pleased with themselves and matt notices an a look in, oh, sorry, Rand notices a look in Matt's eye that just spells <laughs> badger. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he jumps through a window, up a building, out another window on top of the roof tiles. And uh, he had spotted the stick precariously balancing a bunch of empty barrels upright against the side of the road. And with his uh, sling, he shoots a rock at it and of course hits the stick smashes it one shot and all the barrels come rolling and into the mud in front of the white cloaks and they are covered and rand doesn't think anything but laughing at this and uh that didn't go well because obviously the white cloaks are now pissed off and entitled so they <laughs> decide like okay right well what are you laughing at and uh, this is now where it really gets interesting because Rand is thinking, I should cover my sword hilt. Mm. But he does the opposite. Mm. He throws his cloak completely back and he's incredibly confident. And uh, the one white cloak stands back and says like, oh, no, Captain, he's, he's got a heron mark blade. And uh, this sort of draws attention, but how can a young boy have this? And uh, it's also the introduction of old... Uh, what is his name now? Bornhold. Bornhold. Uh, Bornhold uh, is a key prick in the, the storyline. <laughs> a lot of those in the storyline, eh? Class A prick. I, I was going to say, um, Robert Jordan does a great job of um, signposting which 
characters you should like and which you shouldn't like hey like i mean there's there's no messing about when these white looks are walking up the street you're just like mm, no i don't no, like these guys no. i don't like their vibe and uh, it's, uh rand is almost in a sticky situation and he, even though his responses at this exchange he thinks what he should be saying but says the opposite sort of almost mm-hmm. fueling fueling this conflict as if it's not him but also feeling very hot at that same time He's, he's getting amped up. His fla- face was started flushing. And uh, already you can feel that, okay, well, something else is taking control of him here mm. at this, this event. And uh, lucky for him there, the, uh, uh, the watch rocks up, the town watch mm. with their quarter staffs. And they, they are not happy with the white lokes being in Berlin. They want to sort of deal with him and the situation gets sort of uh, diffused. And Matt and Rand is able to get out of there and go and find Tom. And uh, they do find Tom, Perrin, and start telling Tom about the dream. And uh, at that, Perrin comes running and saying like, oh no, there's, there's trouble here. Worse than white cloaks. <laughs> Worse than, forget <laughs> the white cloaks. Yeah. The wisdom is in the inn. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that you say that, really about the, the, the losing of control and stuff. I thought when I first read that, that he was... Uh, you know, touching the, the the one power, but I'm thinking it's more um, influenced by Belzimon and the dream before, because he's walking around that in that chapter saying his head, his head is aching and he's getting fuzzier and fuzzier and he can't think straight mm. and it's getting worse as the day goes on. And perhaps this is where yeah. that drink comes into play. Like uh, Ishmael would have had complete control over him if he had taken the drink. Maybe it's, Maybe. it's, it's a symbol for, for control or for uh, what's mm. that we've called compulsion compulsion mm. so perhaps um he was only slightly touched which is why he's not absolutely dead yeah mm. it was it was weird behavior yeah it was totally against his nature exactly yeah he's not a cocky guy and he was he was sort of laughing in their face and when they said uh oh, you're not going to answer our questions he just stays quiet and he rocks back on his heels yeah you know like with a smirk on his face and that is not rand at no. all no, no, exactly. dark friend Dark friendish behavior. <laughs> Dark rant. Dark rant. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So uh, that was a good chapter. I like that chapter a lot. I mean, the boys out there doing exactly what they're not supposed to do. Yes. Do not draw attention to yourselves. <laughs> hey, wait, look, white cloaks. Let's fuck with these guys. <laughs> and Rand just spills all the beans to Payden Fane. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yes. uh, we are here. We're staying at this inn. <laughs> To, to us, a known dark friend. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, yes, like Jody said, they are just doing exactly what they should not be doing. Matt, why did you have to, like, he breaks into a shop's upper level attic and <laughs> climbs out of a window onto the roof to play this prank on white cloaks. I mean, yeah. fuck Matt. Lan would have killed him on the spot <laughs> if he was there. The blame lies with Moraine. She decided to stay two nights. You know what these kids are going to do. Why are you staying mm. an extra night? Why put them in the city for a whole day? She shouldn't have left them to their own devices. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah and go out into the streets, please. No. As, as fathers yeah. as we all are, if you take yeah. your kids to a bar and <laughs> leave them alone for two days, they will get up to shit. Like, face it. <laughs> they sure will. Gosh, I'm just picturing that. Goddamn. Okay, let's quickly okay, so... hop back. Sorry, Moritz. To no, no, Min. that's exactly what I was going to yes. say. Go back to Min's viewings. Ah, okay. yes. Um, I've got them listed out here if you guys want them. Oh, yeah, let's go. I've got as well, uh, Lan. She sees Lan with the seven pillars and the baby towers. with a sword. Seven towers, sorry. Of Melchior. Yes, yeah. and Melchior. 
and a baby with a sword. Yes, I always give my baby swords. I find it's very soothing. Mm, mm. It's the safest place for a sword. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, if you know, if you've read uh, the New Spring, I suppose that. Have you read New Springville? Yes, I have. Yeah. So you know the story about about Lan, how he was like rushed out of the country by a couple of royal swordsmen who died basically to get him get delivered him to Shinar or some other borderlands country. He was the heir to the throne. Yes. Next up. Next up, we've got uh, Rand that's got a sword that's not a sword. A crown of gold, a laurel crown of gold, laurel leaves. Yeah, gold leaves. A beggar staff. Um, pouring blood running down his... Oh, no, him pouring water onto the sand. Mm-hmm. A bloody hand and a white hot iron. Three mm-hmm. women standing over... Is that a beer? Is that a, like a type of coffin? Yeah, I think it's where they rest you when you're dead. Like a, okay. Um, uh, at a funeral beer uh, with you in it. A black rock with wet blood. Now, that's that's a whole heap for the that she sees with them there. Yeah. And uh, some of them are, um, okay, the golden crown is when he is for King of Ilian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bigger staff. Well, the sword that isn't a sword is the first one. That's obviously Kalandor. Yes. Yeah, that's Kalandor. Mm-hmm. Beggar's staff, I don't know. Neither do I. I couldn't remember. Isn't a Sa'angriel at some point that it may be a reference to one of the Sa'angriel? Which Sa'angriel? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. That's like, you got to be. That's an interesting specific. one. I'm not, I'm not sure about that one. The only thing that I can think of um, for Rand that is a staff, doesn't he get stabbed in his side by... Ishmael's staff at the end of the Great Hunt. Um, yes, he does. He does. That that wound that never heals. Mm. What does he get stabbed with? Was I thought it was a spear. I thought it was a sword because he makes a sword okay. out of fire <laughs> uh, in his hands and they fight in the skies of a Felme and then uh, he gets stabbed. I think it's a sword fight. But anyway, I think that's... Okay. But that beggar staff, not so sure. Beggar, I mean, at one point when he and Matt are traveling by themselves, they sort of look like beggars because they're sleeping under hedges and sort of playing music and trying to scrounge money together. I don't know. Like, mm. I just, again, write to us from the <laughs> bloodandashespodcast.com website and let us know what the hell is this beggar stuff man's banging on. Yeah, changing that uh, website to Bl- uh, Bella Podcast. <laughs> it's in the works. Yeah, this is not much of a podcast, is it, people that are listening? Uh, they come here for information, no. all we do is ask them. <laughs> oh, no. Information is not what you should be coming here for. <laughs> if you want open-ended questions and inane rambling, pull in. Uh, the bloody hand and a red-hot uh, fire, but a red-hot iron. Uh, it's mm. obviously land, uh, Rand losing his arm. Uh, his hand, his forearm. He loses a hand, yeah. And then uh, we've got the... Pouring water on the sand. Pouring water on the sand. Uh, that plays to our ill in the mm-hmm. the uh, the waste. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he make it rain there? Yep. He makes it rain in that big gathering place where they all get together, and um, he makes it rain for the first time in all of their lives. Yes, yes. that's right. And it's still not enough to convince half of them. <laughs> yeah. No, we're going to go with the other guy. <laughs> yeah, that other douchebag with the fake tats. Um, tats leaves. The next one. <laughs> yeah. uh, the black rock with wet blood. I don't know that one. Is that the Shabu. Eye of the World one? Or? That's, that's, I'm 
82% sure that is a reference to a fight at Shalgul. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a, a whole heap of things that... Uh, Three women over a funeral funeral beer, buyer. <laughs> Your pronunciation is not our strong suit. <laughs> and this is not even a fantasy word. Yeah. Um, I promise by the next episode, I will have learned how to pronounce that word. All right. It's my solemn oath to you. Min um, and Rand talk about, uh, after she mentions all these signs and stuff that she sees around him and the three women, um, he also asks her something about like, um, is is this a dream or is this something like a dream? And she laughs and she goes, well, it, uh, it might be what you consider a dream, but it's certainly not what I would have expected for myself. And he's confused by that. Uh, so she knows she's one of the women. Yes. Yeah. And the dream for him would be to have three women that are in love with him. Yeah. Um, and she, she already knows that he cannot escape her viewings. They mm-hmm. always come true without yeah. fail. And now she's already recognized herself as one of those three women. And she's already saying, it's not what I would have pictured for myself. So she's processing that eventuality already. Mm. From like the time she saw Rand probably on the other side of the corridor in the previous chapter. Damn. Damn. Yeah. That's, that's, that's deep. Sorry, man. <laughs> Sharing is caring. <laughs> I read something about Robert Jordan uh, included that because when he was young, he had dated three women at the same time and it was awesome. And he wanted to put it in the books. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I read. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> three wives or three women. Or whatever. All right. Uh, Perrin, he's got, uh, he's seen with wolves. Uh, Matt is seen with a red banner. Oh, we're just going to skip over that. Perrin wolves, whatever. Yeah. Perrin and wolves, running with wolves. Yeah. Um, also, um, trees flowering. Ah, that's right. Around Perrin. Uh, was that not? He spends a lot of time with the Tinkers. Is that perhaps something to do mm-hmm. with them? And are they not the descendants, the people, the way of the leaf? They're the guys that yeah, used exactly. to know the song. Um, exactly. And they used to make things flower and sprout and grow. Mm. That's what I'm mm, thinking. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a connection I haven't made. Great. It's uh, it's shortly after Matt meets up with the Tinkers that he also co- uh, throws his uh, axe away. Perrin. Perrin. Yeah. Uh, Perrin. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Then uh, okay, Matt with the red banner. That is a pretty straightforward mm. and obvious one. Yes. Yes. God, I love this guy. Uh, horn <laughs> in a dagger. Dagger with a <laughs> ruby. In the pretty specific. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pretty specific. <laughs> right on the nose. And uh, we've got Tom with... Uh, Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, buddy. You've skip? missed uh, an important one. An eye upon a balanced scale. Oh, really? I don't blame you for not knowing this one. But for the benefit of those people that do, I'm going to spoil another part of the end of the story for you now. But uh, Matt loses an eye. He has a decision to make. Uh, and the result of his decision costs him an eye. So just when you thought Matt couldn't get any radder, he gets an eye patch. <laughs> He's now a pirate. That was, uh, and I think I read uh, Matt, Lute, but no, he loses his vision temporarily before they reach Tarvalon. He does, but in the, I think it's in the Towers of Midnight, which are those towers that take you to the land of the snakes and foxes. Mm. Um, he makes oh, no, a that. deal with them. Yes. You read the Towers of Midnight? Yes, I read the Towers of Midnight. When he goes back to save Moraine? Yes. No, I read he went in, but I didn't finish the book. So uh, okay, that's cool. a, obviously he went in through to this, uh, I remember the foxes. Uh, it's like yes. weird people, almost like aliens. 
Mm. It's a different dimension. Yes. The, the power doesn't work there. It's completely different. Mm. It's, all the rules are different. So, yeah, I do um, remember him losing an eye. That I do remember because he... You do? Okay, yes. well, yeah. Um, someone at some point later in the story also says that uh, Matt is destined to sacrifice half the light of the world, ah. which sounds heavy, like a Thanos uh, <laughs> finger snap sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but it's just him literally not being able to absorb half. the same amount of light as everyone from the world. Yes, 50% less. And then also a laughing face. Is that around Matt? Mm-hmm. Isn't he just because he's a joker? Could be. Yeah. Could be. She doesn't say his laughing face. She just says a, a laughing, laughing face. face. Could be anyone. Could be yeah. two on. Mm. Um, and Tom? A fire juggling man that is not him and the White Tower. Is that not mm, his nephew? Yeah. A channeler. That's what I thought. Male channeler. Mm. Yeah. And then the white, and the white tower. tower, obviously. Yeah. Doing their white tower business on his nephew. <laughs> and <laughs> then uh, no distinct pictures when she speaks about. It was meant to. Uh, Moraine and Neguin, just the the colors. Yes. Um. She she says that she sees that around all women of uh, Moraine's type, type, you know, basically hinting at Isatai, mm. and she sees it around Neguin as well. Mm. Or the woman that can channel. Yes, got the, yeah, true. Yes, exposing the gift of yeah. channeling. So that is a that's that's how many giveaways right in that section there. Yeah, <laughs> this is a pretty packed chapter. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of happenings there. Yeah, the last thing I had from that chapter was that the boys decide that they, with Tom's guidance, that they would tell. Or actually, no, the boys Matt and Rand decide that they will tell Tom and Noit Moraine based mm. on the fact that. They, she crashed the ferry. She destroyed the ferry. So mm. they're like, oh, I don't know. You know, she's a bit hectic. Can we really tell her this thing? Well, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. But she did tell them earlier on to... And the first thing that she asks Rand when he came back into um, from the farm and walked in to find her to help uh, Tam was... A, not hi, Rand. Like, how's your dreams? Yeah. So that already mm. back then she started questioning dreams and said, because I can help you with your dreams. Yeah. So I think that's uh, also, she's kind of expecting that that would be an angle of attack on the boys. Mm. The Sorry to jump around on these topics, but I also had a question from this chapter about Bornhold. Um, there are two Bornholds in the story, right? There's a dude and his dad. Yeah. And the dad Dane? is killed Dane and Geofram? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. One of them is killed by Perrin or is killed when Perrin and Egwin escape the White Cloaks after they've been captured. Yeah. And that's why the son has this irrational hatred of mm -hmm. Perrin specifically. Um, and I was just wondering which one is this? I mean, he's acting like a uppity douchebags i'm assuming it's the son and the same one that sort of hounds um parent for the rest of the story but i was just wondering which bornhold is it um i think his dad or that the older bornhold that is killed wasn't his dad like a high captain or something is higher mm. he's higher ranked here mm. now he wouldn't be walking the streets at night and no in it's the... daytime but he wouldn't walk the street with just two there plays nah. into where it happened as well because it's not very far from here it's before they get to white bridge uh, when they traveling just after Ilias, that they get captured, Perrin and Aguirre. Okay. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's physically, it's not far physically from the yeah. in the same area. So it would make yeah. sense. Okay, I think we've squeezed as much as we can out of a out of a Bailon chapter. Um, so, Joe, why don't you take us into chapter sixteen, the wisdom? The wisdom. Now, when I when I read this uh, this chapter title, I was like, oh yeah, and then uh, nothing happens. <laughs> basically, uh, yeah. So at the end, we realize, hey, Neneve's in town, and uh, they 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 go back to the the lion and stag, and um, yeah, she's there to take the boys back. And they have a conversation and convince her not to. The end. <laughs> Literally, the only thing that happens. I mean, we get a little bit more. Uh, there's a little, there's a few little details. Is the 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 Nini versus uh, Moraine uh, show off standoff? Yeah, little standoff. The Batman v Superman of our of our time. And there was uh, tugging of braids. Oh, there was tugging. I, t- <laughs> I took a note. Page two thirty two. The first braid tug. Yeah. <laughs> She has her braid in a fist, giving it sharp tugs. It seems very uncomfortable. I'm going to count them. As we go through, I'm going to count the braid tugs. I'm going to count the braid tugs, the the, the skirt smoothing, and the folding of arms under the breasts. Those are the three I'm going to keep Why don't we just of. each take one? <laughs> <It'll be easier. laughs> it's okay. I think I can handle it. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be in the thousands when you're done. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, um, they at the end, they all have a sit down. Uh, and Rand now is taking more control and he's not such a wuss anymore. And even Nanive mentions it like, you've grown so much since, uh, yeah. since I last saw you a week ago. You know, like you're asking questions and you know. questioning her authority and her actions. Exactly. Why, yeah. why did you come? Why didn't anybody else come from the, from the two rivers mm. to come and fetch me? So, anyway, they convince her after everyone has their choice. I like how Egwene is hiding <laughs> behind Perrin under a hoodie. <laughs> hood up so she can't see her hair yeah like they're back in that room in the family room so now uh yeah, yeah this <laughs> evil stepmother has arrived <laughs> it's got such a family vibe in that yeah. room this whole chapter is also weird i mean they go dancing afterwards yes it's it's really yeah but i think it's it's written like that to like make us drop our guard a little bit uh, mm. like look everyone's having fun now because you know what happens after that uh, we'll get to that yeah. in the next chapter so then um yeah uh what else Yes, we see the first uh, sign of uh, Nanive's crush on Lan when he compliments mm-hmm. her because she says, well, I figured this is the only place you could come. And then I just followed your trail. And Lan's like, um, you followed our trail? What? <laughs> so yes. yeah, I'd, I'd spent a lot of time trying to make sure people couldn't follow us. So that's very good. He gives her a compliment on her skills and she blushes. The, he says that there aren't, there aren't many people, even in the borderlands, that would have been able to do that. And yeah. then she doesn't, she doesn't know what to do with a compliment. And she blushes and sort of hides in her cup. Yeah. That's a, that is a fantastic bit there. It's, uh, uh, she's uh, on point. She knows how to do a thing or two. Yeah. I wonder if Min sees the fact that they're going to get married. Uh, I suppose we'll find out later. She probably does. Mm. She probably does. But she also says that um, warders also have so many images around them that it's almost impossible to keep track of them. Yeah. Oof. And especially Lan, mm. being king yeah. and all. Yeah. What a, what a character. <laughs> He's the best. And then it's also confirmed in this chapter, uh, that's what uh, Moraine is trying to get out of Nineveh. Are any one of these boys born outside of the two rivers and kind of gets let out, slipped that, yes, Rand was born outside the two mm. rivers. So, so mm. Moraine is on the right track, at least. She's confirmed yes. in that. Um, yes. But yeah, that's about it. That's about it. That works. That happens in this mm. chapter. Did you guys pick up anything I missed? 
There was the very obvious bad guy in the room, in the common room when everyone's dancing, the dude with the scar across all of his face. I mean, okay. Yeah, like you were saying, Robert Jordan <laughs> paints a clear picture. Bad guy? Good yeah. guy. Yes. There's, um, no, there's but, no Jamie Lannisters in this uh, in this story. No. So far, at least. Yeah. I think Lance says that um, he's a spy for the White Cloaks. Yes. But I don't know that the White Cloaks ever really do anything with, um, the, in, unless the White Cloaks are the ones that burn it down eventually. But, I mean, I, like Jody, just immediately thought, okay, Dark Friend, obviously. Dark friend. Obvious Dark Friend. Obvious yeah. Dark Friend. Yeah, it's uh, really bringing the, a, a festive vibe in with him dancing, having a good time, Tom doing what Glee Mens does in the common room. Yeah, and it it ends with them sort of finishing up, right? Like finishing finishing the dancing and Go to going bed. upstairs. Yeah. Yep. Which brings us to the last chapter for this this episode, which is chapter seventeen, Watchers and Hunters. So after everyone's done dancing, they're all sort of retiring to the boudoir. And uh, Rand stays behind to go get a glass of milk from the kitchen because he thinks it might help him sleep. So everyone goes upstairs, Rand goes to the kitchen and gets a glass of milk. And as he comes out of the kitchen, there's a fucking fade in the <laughs> corridor, just just right there. Yeah. And he he comes up to Rand, and Rand is scared shitless, like he's not even thinking of his sword or anything. Um, and the fade sort of just talking to him. And when they hear a commotion of someone coming downstairs, um, the fade literally swings his blade at Rand and then stops it and says. Mm it's not for me to kill you. You belong to the dark one. And then runs into the shadows of the hallway and disappears. Yep. And Lan comes, um, Lan comes down the stairs and he's like, okay, fuck this. We were going to leave early tomorrow morning. We're leaving right now. And I think the other guys actually already have their bedrolls and everything with them. Mm. So I don't know when they prepped to leave. They, they sense the fade was there. Um, that's mm. what they mentioned is one of the chapters that because, because of the, the bond, um, it's like a quarter mile or something like yes, that. It's like a land can sense them, the exactly. evil you can sense the evil. So yeah. they knew it was close and that's why they were already packing up. Yeah. Um, my next note is everyone leaves much a dark friend because he's the one that leads them to the stables again. And he's just giving Rand all these sidelong glances. And he is just, he's obviously painted as a sinister character, or at least a, if he's not very sinister and smart, a nerd do well. Mm. Um, so everyone leaves and the guard at the wall, um, is talking about, he mentions, um, that a dozen cows had been killed by wolves. Like, why do you want to go outside? There's wolves out there. A dozen cows have been killed this week. Um, but I bet you those cows were killed by slightly larger animals than wolves, uh, with horned heads and scythe-like swords and <laughs> probably been raiding, raiding the farms in the area for some time. Um, Five white cloaks arrive, blocking them from leaving, and it turns out it's Bornhold and his cronies. Um, he's sort of trying to intimidate them, and Lan is playing it super, super cool. Um, and as Rand realizes it's Bornhold that he saw earlier that day, he tries to sort of shrink back. And as he's trying to make himself inconspicuous, he's like, oh, so someone doesn't want to be seen, do they? Mm -hmm. And then he realizes who he is, and he decides, that's it. You guys are all dark friends. I'm arresting all of you. Um, and then Moraine just turns on the power and she starts um, sort of like looming over them and Rand says, oh, it seems like she's bigger. And then he realizes, hang on, she is bigger. She's off her horse and she's eye level with him and he's sitting on cloud. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. he's tall and he's sitting on a big horse and she's like at eye level with him. And she, uh, 
she's sort of scaring the shit out of the white cloaks. Um, and Lan just says, okay, gun it, guys, let's bolt. <laughs> and they, they squeeze through the gate, which is only halfway open. And like, I think he says, like, his shoulders actually touch like the door or the, the gate on the side. Like, they squeeze out and they run. And as they look back, Moraine is actually taller than the than the palisades. You know, she's taller mm. than the... Um, than the, the wall around the city and to leave she actually steps over the wall yeah um, and as she steps over the wall the, the gate closes and she can they can hear the, the sort of the, the metal bar closing it up and as she comes back she rejoins them and um and they ride off um and when they've ridden off a little ways they stop and they look back and they notice a fire or like they can see a light in the sky and they notice that there's a fire um, and everyone, naive, and the boys are all indignant about the fact that, oh man, they probably burnt down the inn. We need to go back and help them. And Moran and Lan are just like, guys, we have bigger fish to fry. It's terrible. We'll send them money. It'll be fine. If they don't do anything stupid, they won't get killed. No one knows. But we cannot go back there. We have to keep going. Um, and then they, oh, they go and they camp, they, they ride off and they camp for like basically an hour. Mm. Uh, during which uh, Lan just keeps an eye on everything, and then they set off on the Camelin Road. On the run yet again. On the run again. Now it's just a long, long race down the Camelin Road across the maps that we've just mentioned, and I guess the plan was to go to Camelin and then take a sharp left and head north to Tarvalon. Um, they don't say that. They just talk about the end destination and the and the road that they're going to travel. I haven't read any further than this chapter, so I don't know if that was the intention. But there we have it. I, I like Land's little uh, quip to to Tom in that chapter. Tom asks, mm-hmm. "I hope if you guys don't mind, I, I'd like to ride with you." And he's like, "Ride with us or ride to Shailgul." <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> fuck <Yes>. you. <laughs> you know, fuck what you do. Not a fan. <laughs> Lan, Lan wasn't dancing. Not at all. In the end. M- Moraine was. Yes, yeah. she was. And every time Ran dances with Egwene, or well, not so much with Egwene, because it says he's been dancing with her for years. Mm. But when he's dancing with uh, Nynaeve and Moraine, he's sort of like stumbling over himself and he doesn't know what to do. And then the second time round, he does a bit better and Moraine compliments him on his dancing and that yeah. makes it worse. <laughs> Such a wool-headed sheep herder. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, that chapter also pretty straightforward. Oops, there's a fade in the end. Um, I'm guessing, oh, when they leave, uh, much the, the um, <laughs> the alleged dark friend, uh, is standing in the road with a lantern yep. peering after them after they've left. So it's just like, again, ding, 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 ding. Thanks, Robert Jordan for mm. all the signs. This is a dark friend. I was trying to think, is, um, is it much? That sort of informed the Halfman about them being in that specific inn? Or did Rand mention to Paden Fane specifically which Rand, inn? Rand uh, told him that's at the Stag and Lion. We're okay, at the well, Stag and Lion, come find so, us there, and we'll be there till tomorrow morning. Like even yeah, giving him the time that they'll. It's like, <laughs> here, here's our diary. Fuck, Please have in me. rooms three, four, and seven. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be fast asleep at midnight. Pull in. Um, yeah, it is just yeah, the, the mind boggles, Rand. Ben Fane was never a likable person. You are too trusting. Too river bullhead. So who burnt down the inn? Uh, the, the dark friends or the white cloaks? I think the white cloaks. 
Really? The dark friends don't need to burn down the inn. But how did the white cloaks know? They didn't know where he was. I mean, they only discovered him by the, at the gate by accident. Ah, but the man with the scar. Now, was he... I mean, mm. is it... Uh, uh, I don't know. Was it, you tell Payton Fane, and then right after that, there's a guy in the inn. I mean, it could be him that spread the word. Well, I mean, Lan, who I see as a pretty reliable source, says that turns out he's a white cloak spy. Ah. So I think um, after the um the party leaves Belon, um obviously with the children trapped inside because they can't get out through the gate um they go back to whatever source they have or they would suspect that you know they stayed at the specific inn that one of their informants told them there were some people that match these descriptions you know whatever that is and then in their self-righteous rage they condemned everyone in the inn as harboring dark friends and therefore deserve this fate um that's my head canon. i think it was the white clothes. yes uh, also that exchange between rand and bornold uh when they had the laugh uh, in the barrel mm-hmm. section uh, he did yeah. say like this is not over um we'll mm. continue with this so nothing can stop them with their resources to put a person in every inn with a scar across the face oh, they probably had <laughs> probably done that and said look we're gonna get you and uh we will. Yeah. Uh, they, would, they would have had informants all over the place. I, I do believe that it's uh, maybe also meant to be twofold in the sense that there are so many dark friends around you the whole time and you don't know who mm. you can trust in any of these cities. They don't all have massive scars across their face and lurk <laughs> in the corner staring <laughs> at you while everyone else is having a great time. Mm. You could just imagine the orders going out. Yes, sir. Well, the white cloaks put one of our most conspicuous men in every tavern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking terrible spy. <laughs> uh, no, I've no doubt it's Payton Fane. He's uh, he's the number one. I think Payton Fane told the fade, and that's why the fade was there. But I think the white cloaks burnt down the end. Mm. That 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 tracks with me. All right, I will agree with you. <laughs> just, just to avoid we vote on what the true to, to what the, the true narrative actually is um did you guys well i'm sure you did but what were your favorite moments from this batch of chapters joseph why don't we start with you oh no let's start with Vili. Uh, <laughs> i have this is not the greatest moment but i really do like this moment where lan gets off mandab stands all landly with his sword resting at the ferry and Rand mm-hmm. tries to copy it poorly and Perrin <laughs> sort of stands like a like a like a blacksmith's a block of a yeah. man he, he squares up squares up say. yeah and then uh, yeah. doesn't quite know how to rest his hand on his axe and Matt is just like what do I do with my quiver um, <laughs> yeah, with my wet bowstring <laughs> That uh, yeah. and of course Tom flicking the dagger around and then cleaning his fingers for sort of the last guy to do something, and then also yeah. the best guy to do something like an elaborate flick of everything and catches yeah. rain catches it with the eyes. I love that little moment. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I also had a good old chuckle at that. There was a, a scene um, where he was empty going through his pockets, rant. And he mm-hmm. would say it was uh, scraps and some uh, two extra bowstrings and a piece of string he thought might be useful. <laughs> <laughs> what is? <laughs> you got a piece of string, bro. Awesome. Thanks. 
you know, yeah. I, I do that yeah. a lot. I can relate to that. So that's my favorite moment. Uh, keeping a piece okay. of string because you thought it's going to be useful later. Oh, maybe you are the dragon reborn. I've thought so many times. Moritz? <laughs> um, my favorite moment was when um, Lan hears Nynaeve say that, you know, she just tracked them. And he's complete surprise. He's like, wait, what? You tracked me? And I was actively trying to cover my tracks. And then just how um, how impressed he was. Hmm. Um, Nynaeve is one of my favorite characters. So like any moment that sort of ups her prestige within the group, I, I revel in that because I, I really like her. I like the fact that she's fucking powerful in the yeah. power. I like the fact that she is not, well, not, not scared of anything, but um, she's brave as all hell and she's got a real backbone, you know. Um, she tugs her braid too much, but that's a nervous tick, so I'll let that slide. But, but I yeah. love the fact that she just tracked him. <laughs> her best trait is her her desire to help. That's all she ever wants to do. That's why she's a wisdom. That's why she yeah. becomes a healer. She joins the Yellow Aja. All she wants to do is is help and heal. So even though yeah. she comes across as a really hard ass, she's a, she's yeah. a big old softy. She's fucking fierce. I love her. Okay, so... Um... That's it for this recording, guys. Um, next time, we will cover chapter 18 to 23. So that's the Camelin Road to Wolf Brother, oh. uh, which ooh, it just, you know, it makes me think we're going to have a lot to talk about next time. Just reading those two names. I haven't even looked at what the chapters are in between. Um, but yeah, really looking forward to that one. Um, I will say one more time without our added laughing in the background, but if anyone does want to leave us any comments or suggestions or corrections, please send them our way. Go to bloodandashespodcast.com and just leave us a comment on there. Um, we will absolutely address any of those things uh, in our next recording. Um, and with that, I will say thank you to you two gentlemen. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and we will see you next time to continue our journey cheers bye everyone bye bye